I can't get over those pictures we watched. I, know, I don't know the story of every picture, but there are so many of those stories that I know. And there's, I, just, I wonder how much God just loves stories. Somebody, I think somebody said the reason God created people was because he loves stories. And we give him constant, you know, entertainment, I suppose, or something. So anyway, uh, God bless you moms. Let's, uh, let's look into scripture together today. We're going to do something a little bit different in our format today. Or we're going to add a piece into what we normally do here at Lakeside. There's, a, there's an app. On, if you have a smartphone or a tablet computer, there's an app on there called Uversion. A lot, of you, a lot of you use it for your Bible. When I'm at home reading my Bible, I never read on a paper Bible anymore. I just read on my iPad. It's convenient and easy for me. I got this program called Uversion, and they offer a section in there called Live where you can actually create notes for your church to be able to follow along with what we're doing. So, some of you have this on your phone. You want to do this? You go to Uversion, the app, uh, click the drop down menu where it says Live. When you click that Live button, it'll say Search for a Live Event. And if you have your location services turned on for this app, uh, then it will show up Wholehearted Lakeside Church. That's us, and that will give you a little bit of the scriptures and, and some of the notes and stuff like that to get ready for what's coming today. How about that? It's really cool. If you like that kind of thing, and if you don't, then use your paper Bible and that'll be just fine, okay? Uh, let's talk about worth a little bit. The, the Bible has a lot to say about how we are valued in this world, and, and everybody around you puts a value on your life. So let's just stop for a minute and think about this today. Um, how much is your life worth? Well, it's priceless. That's a good answer. Let me give you another answer. How much is your life worth? It depends which voice you listen to. Because there are a lot of voices telling you what you're worth or what you're not worth in this world. And so it depends, your value depends on which voice you listen to. For example, if you were to listen to the chemists who write in a blog called datagenetics.com, they would tell you that the, that the value of the chemicals in your body come up to about 160 bucks. So there you are. You are worth $160. Congratulations. Or if you listen to the voice of the people who edit Wired Magazine, you'll find out that if you were to take all the organs in your system, your heart, your lungs, your kidney, your liver, your skin, your eyeballs, even your DNA, if you could take all that stuff, not just the chemicals, but the organs, and you could sell those, you'd be worth about $45 million. And you'd also be dead. And it's also illegal, so don't try it. But I mean, that's, a, that's, that's pretty valuable. If you listen to the voice of your mother, you're only valuable if you call. If you listen to the voice of your father, it may be a little bit more complicated, but he'll say you're valuable if you call your mother. And if you call your dad, he'll say, I'll get your mother. So, you know, that's kind of how that rolls out. How much worth, what is your life worth? It all depends which voice you listen to. As I'm uh, living my life, it always seems wise to me to try and listen to Jesus' voice. I kind of assume that's where most of you are coming from because you're here at church. Some of you are here under duress, you know, because the mother of your children said, come to church today and I'll, we'll go out to brunch afterwards, you know, or, you know, something. But most of you are here because you're like, I want to listen to Jesus. I want to know what Jesus says. I want to know what his word is for my life. And that's where I go with this too. And so let's just listen to a little bit of what Jesus says about your worth. All right, if you have your Bible, you can open up to this. If you're following along on the, on the Bible app, it'll pull this up for you. But uh, a couple of things that Jesus said about value. 
Uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 29, makes a little statement of Jesus about value. Listen to this. By the way, if you don't have a copy of Scripture, you can reach over and grab one on the chair near you, too, so you can follow along. Matthew chapter 10, uh, verse 29, this is Jesus. He says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Which some of us are making that easier for God to count these days, but so be it. Uh, So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. You should memorize that last sentence. You are worth more than many sparrows. You heard it here first. Okay, now let me show you another one that Jesus says. It's sort of a parallel passage. It's found in the Gospel of Luke, verse 12, starting at, uh, or chapter 12, starting at verse 6. Jesus says this again, but Luke records it a little bit differently. He says it this way. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. So here's a little economics lesson from, like, Uh, Retail marketing, first century. Two sparrows could be sold for a penny. Or two sparrows could be purchased for a penny. Isn't that wonderful? Or you can get four for two pennies. And then if you buy four for two pennies, they'll throw in an extra one so you have five. Are you not worth more than many sparrows? Now, so far you're like, I just don't really care. How many of you have ever purchased a sparrow? Who does that? How many of you have purchased a chicken? Yeah, some of you. What are the rest of you? What do you? The rest of you eat cow, I guess. I don't know. So, uh, yeah. So, but nobody purchases sparrows. I don't care if it costs a penny for two, or if I can get a hundred for a penny. It doesn't really matter. I'm not going to buy sparrows. And the more you add to it, the less likely I am to buy it. Nobody cares about sparrows, which is exactly Jesus. I think when he said this, he said this with a little twinkle in his eye, which is weird because when you read scripture, you can't usually tell the emotion that's behind it. You can't usually tell the tone that comes with it. You have to sort of imagine, now how is he saying this? And I think when Jesus said, you are worth more than many sparrows, I think he had a twinkle in his eye. I think he was sort of chuckling to him. You, you, you are worth more than many sparrows. And I'm like, well, how many? Like six? Six sparrows? Or 160 bucks, how many sparrows would, could you get for 160 bucks? Like a whole flock of sparrows. That would be horrible. You know, and so Jesus goes, are you not worth more than many sparrows? And it's sort of a tongue-in-cheek kind of a statement because what he's really saying is, look, you are worth way more than that. You are worth a life. You are worth my life. That's what you're worth. You are worth the life of the Son of God. Now it becomes remarkable. How much is your life worth? Depends which voice you listen to. So listen to another story about Jesus' life. This one's found in John chapter 12. We'll land in this one for the most part uh, for the next few minutes. John chapter 12, verse 1, uh, tells a story of Jesus uh, as he's getting ready to kind of, he's on his uh, way to go up to Jerusalem and to spend the last week of his life in Jerusalem. And here's what happens. Uh, John chapter 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. 
Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard and expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It's worth a year's wages. Now, he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to whatever was put in. Jesus replied, leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. All right, a little bit of background to this story. A while before this, I'm not sure how long, some weeks, maybe a few months, but sometime before this, Jesus had also been in the town of Bethany. Again, Bethany's about two or three miles up over the Mount of Olives from the city of Jerusalem. And he'd been there before, and his friend Lazarus had died. And his disciples, when they heard that he had died or that he was sick, his disciples urged Jesus, we better get there, we better get there, because he's not going to make it. But Jesus delayed, and by the time he got to Bethany, Lazarus had died. And Lazarus' sisters, Martha and Mary, were both upset with Jesus. Jesus, if you would have got here sooner, you could have you healed him. But now he's dead. Now it's too late. They'd already buried him, put him in a tomb, rolled a stone over it, just like they did when Jesus died later. All that same deal. Jesus goes to the front of the tomb where Lazarus is buried. He's been dead for four days. And Jesus calls out to him, Lazarus, come out. And the people that were standing next to him, they're like, Jesus, by this time he stinketh. Which is Bible talk for, don't go in there. Jesus goes, Lazarus, come out. And all of a sudden, Lazarus comes out of this tomb. Now he's alive. The dead guy was alive. Now, fast forward to this account in John chapter 12. And what you have is they're having a banquet for Jesus. He's come back to Bethany. And they're like, this is the man who raised Lazarus from the dead. We should have a, we should have a feast and make him the guest of honor. So here's Jesus, guest of honor at the banquet. And who else is at the banquet? Lazarus is at the banquet, the dead guy who came back to life. Now, you're, just, just imagine you're sitting at the banquet. Who do you more want to take a selfie with at that banquet, Jesus or Lazarus? I'm like, I'm thinking Lazarus. I'm like, okay, the, I know it's church and the answer is supposed to be Jesus, but I'm like, if you're there and you've got an iPhone, you're like, there he is, there he is. Who? That's Lazarus. That's the one who died and came back to life. Or, you know, you're, or you're sneaking over to Lazarus while they're serving the salads. Like, hey, Lazarus, look at that. Oh, you got a selfie with Lazarus. That's just so cool. Oh, and there's a rabbi, Jesus. That's, you know, he's pretty good. You get a picture with him, too, if you can. But Lazarus is the one you want to get. That's what's going on in this story. And in the middle of the meal, one of Lazarus's sisters named Mary comes in, and she's got a jar, a pint-sized jar of perfume. We find out as the story unrolls that this perfume was the good stuff. It's not like Old Spice aftershave. Man, I know some of you think that is the good stuff, but there's better. And so she brings in this perfume, and it's a pint of the best perfume they had. And we find out that it was worth a year's wages. A year. I did a little bit of calculating. If you work at Starbucks and you get paid 10 bucks an hour and you work 40 hours a week for 50 weeks and you take two weeks of vacation during the year, you earn about $20,000. A year's wages. This perfume was worth $20,000. 
Now, let's just play interactive church. How many of you have ever spent $20,000 on perfume? No. How many of us all together, if we put all of our perfume funds together, would have spent $20,000 on perfume? Like, that's a lot of, you can buy a lot of Old Spice for that. Here she comes, she takes this jar of perfume and she pours it out on Jesus' feet and she wipes it into his feet with her hair. It's this amazing act of sacrifice and sacrificial love. It's a beautiful picture of how she cared for Jesus. And he said she did this to prepare him for his burial. I don't even think she knew that. She just was so taken with Jesus and what he had done for her brother and what he had done for her. She just was overwhelmed. She's like, I've got this one thing of value. And I'm going to pour it out at the feet of Jesus. And everything was great until one of Jesus' disciples speaks up. Disciple happened to be named, be named Judas. You've probably heard of him. That Judas. He speaks up and he says, Mary, what's wrong with you? What are you, stupid or something? What are you doing with that? Sorry, we have some children in the room. Probably some of you moms don't let them use the S words, stupid. So I'm sorry about that. But, but that's, what, that's what Judas is saying. What are you doing? What's wrong with you? What are you thinking? Why are you wasting that? That could have been... That could have been sold and given to the poor, which he didn't really care about because he was a thief. But he makes a big show of it, and he's shaming her. Let's not do interactive, but have you ever been shamed? Have you ever been ashamed? That's what Judas is doing to Mary, he's shaming her. He's telling her, you're, you're, what a fool you are to pour this out and waste that on Jesus' feet. Shame. You know how powerful shame is in your life? If you stop and think about it, you'll know because every one of us experiences it. Brene Brown describes shame as the intensely painful belief that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Which is interesting because the first half of that statement is absolutely true. We are flawed. All of us. We're all flawed. You don't have to raise your hands on this one. You wouldn't all. You, some of you would raise your hands because you're flawed. And some of you wouldn't raise your hands because you're flawed. So <clears throat> we're, we're all there. It's, we're all yeah, think about that. We're all there. We're all flawed. And so that part of the statement is true. But shame is the intensely painful belief that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love or belonging. And that's a flat out lie. But that's what shame is. And when someone shames you, they're making you feel like because you're flawed, you are unworthy of love and belonging. Who would ever love you? I mean, you're so flawed. Why would anyone love you? Or we put it on ourselves. Who would love me? I'm so broken. I'm so messed up. If people really knew what was in me. I mean, I have this thought. I, I cover this up from you. Because I don't want you to know it. But I look at my life. I go, if you really knew what was in me, you wouldn't even come to church. Which is probably not a good thing for next week. You know, the word shame comes from an old Latin word that means to cover, to hide. You know, the first experience of shame was in the Garden of Eden when two human beings decided they would be their own God instead of following God's 
desires and designs for them, and so they rebelled against him. And the first emotion they experienced after that was shame. And because of their shame, they covered themselves. And they hid from one another, and they hid from God. That's what shame does to us. Every time you hide in your life, it's, well, I won't say every time because I don't know. Maybe you hide for other reasons. But shame is a key driver in the fact that we hide from one another. It's a key driver in the fact that we cover up from one another. It's a key driver in the idea that we conceal the reality of our life from one another. And as long as we hide it, it grows. It only goes backwards when we expose it. It only goes backwards when we reveal the shame. I have this very sensitive, built-in stupid meter in my life. Do you have one of these? People trigger it. Other people trigger it. You know, usually not intentionally. I find that the best people at triggering my stupid meter are the people that love me most. People, the people that I love most, they have the best power, the most power to trigger my stupid meter. My wife can trigger it. It's not the words she might say. It might be the tone that it comes out with. And in my heart, something goes, something, something pegs at the end of the meter and it just goes, stupid, stupid, stupid. She doesn't mean to do it. And and I don't mean to do it when I peg her meter either. But I've learned that the people that I love the best are the people that I'm most likely to ignite their stupid meter or their shame gauge. Because I'm flawed too. And we seem to learn to activate that shame gauge for one another. With a word, with a look, with a tone. We all know what it feels like. And what it's saying to us is you're not worth anything. Shame is a voice that says you are unworthy of love. And there are a lot of people in our world that feel unworthy of love because of our flaws, our brokenness. Sometimes women who have not been able to conceive a child feel shame with that, though it has no fault of theirs. Sometimes men who can't keep a job feel shame, though sometimes it's through no fault of theirs. A lot of times the insecurity that happens in people's life comes because of shame. A lot of the anger that happens, particularly I think in men's lives, derives from shame. It's in all of us. And you see this story with Jesus and and Mary and Judas, and you realize there is a voice that whispers, you're broken, you're flawed, and you're not worthy of love or belonging. It may sound like the voice of your dad. It may sound like the voice of your mom. It may sound like the voice of a sibling or an aunt, or uncle, or grandparent, or teacher, or authority in your life somewhere. It may sound like a number of voices, but it will clearly sound like Judas. 
How much is your life worth? It depends which voice you listen to. You can listen to Judas or you can listen to Jesus. Which is wiser? Listen to some things that Jesus said to us, his disciples. In John chapter 10, verse 10, he says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I don't think he's talking specifically about Judas, but it applies to him. It, is, it applies to that voice, that voice that shames you. That's the voice of the thief. And the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. That's what Jesus wants for you. Full life, whole life, wholehearted life. That's what he wants. That's how much he values you. There's another place where Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, he says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. Now, frankly, that verse has tripped me up for a long, long time. I'm going I'm to take next weekend to talk about, uh, the title of next weekend's message is Confessions of an Imperfectionist. It's going to be an autobiographical talk where I'm just going to lay out for you. This is my journey with this whole subject. Be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And I want to just give you a little introduction to that on this statement. Another way to translate that word perfect is the word whole. What he's saying is be whole as your heavenly father is whole. Who is more whole than God? Nobody. And he's saying be whole like your father in heaven is whole. See, Jesus wants you to live this wholehearted life. And when we have shame, we end up pulling back from life. We end up pulling back from people. We end up hiding. We end up withdrawing. We end up not taking as many risks. We pull back from everything. We limit ourselves. We constrain ourselves into a half-hearted life. Because we don't understand how much God values us. We don't understand how much we're worth. Because we're listening far more to Judas than we are to Jesus. Go back to the story of Mary the perfumer, John 12. Mary comes into where Jesus is having this dinner, and she pours the perfume on Jesus' feet, and she actually wipes it with her hair. She gets down on her knees, on her hands and knees, and she wipes this perfume into Jesus' feet with her hair. And then it says a remarkable thing. The whole house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. That's a picture of the wholehearted life. The person who lives without shame, the person who realizes that Jesus loved them enough to give his life for them, to forgive them, to cleanse them, to restore them to wholeness, that person who lives a wholehearted life is able to fill a room like the fragrance from that perfume. She poured it out on Jesus' feet. It filled the whole house with the fragrance of that perfume. And then think about this. This happened six days before Jesus was nailed to a cross. When they nailed Jesus' feet to the cross, you could still smell the perfume. When Mary watched from a distance as they nailed Jesus to the cross, you could still smell the perfume in her hair. 
result of a wholehearted life is it fills the house and it lingers. Its fragrance lingers on the people around them, on the people behind them. said to Mary, what are you doing? What are you thinking? Why are you doing this? And Jesus made a response to her. What did he say? He said, leave her alone. What she has done has greater worth than you can imagine. Leave her alone. That word, those words, leave her alone, comes from one Greek word, me. It's the word that means forgive. It means to let something go. It means to release it. Jesus is saying, to Judas and to the other disciples who were mocking what she was doing, he said, release her. Let her be free. Let her be whole. You know what Jesus says to you? Release you. Let you be free. Let you be whole. Jesus wants you to live a wholehearted life. The fragrance of which will fill a room because you are not inhibited by your brokenness. You are not withdrawn because of your flaws. You are whole, wholehearted. What's your life worth? Jesus said, your life is worth more than many sparrows. But what he meant to say was, your life is worth my life. And he died on the cross to prove it. the gospel. We're going to celebrate it in baptisms today. It's the gospel. You get a chance to be whole if you take it. How much is your life worth? Depends which voice you listen to. Are you listening to Judas or are you listening to Jesus? You choose. Now, just before we celebrate baptisms, can I just uh, invite you to reflect on a couple of things? We're going to spend the next four weeks talking about wholehearted and wholehearted living, what that looks like. I just want to give you two verses to meditate on this week. So all the application I want to give you, two things to think about this week. One is John chapter 10, which we already looked at, where Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and might have it to the full. And the other is Romans 5 verse 8, where, G- where Paul says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us in this, while we were still sinners, while we were still broken and flawed, Christ died for us. Meditate on that and get started on wholehearted living. Father in heaven, thank you for your grace to us. It's beautiful and amazing. We're going to celebrate it here in a moment through baptism, and so thank you for that. My prayer today, Lord, is for people here in the room. Some have already figured out that you have this gift of wholehearted life for us, and so thank you for them. Many are still in the process of understanding how you deal with our flaws and how you handle our brokenness and what you want to invite us into. So, Lord, draw us forward into that wholehearted life. And, Lord, some maybe haven't even crossed the line of faith yet. They they just need to come to you. They want to turn towards you by faith. And so when they pray today, would you hear their prayer? Lord, thank you for these things. We love you. Amen.